Chapter 9 of Witches of the Glen by Sally Watson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Inverary Castle. Loch Fine stretched long and narrow between its hills, as what Highland Loch did not. Glen Airy opened out into a meadow there, where the river entered the loch, and from the top of her hill Kelpie had a fine and leisurely view. There was the town of Inverary on the far side, nestled right on the loch, and on this side, almost below her, rose the massive stone bulk and towers of Inverary Castle, home of Macalian Moor. Kelpie wriggled a little deeper into her nest of tall harebells and broom and stared down it with interest. She had time to wait and think. Janet had braided the black hair neatly for her, used the hem of her own dress to wash Kelpie's grimy pointed face, and then hurried on to the head of the lock. From there she would return to the village as if from her own home. And Kelpie was to bide there, out of sight, until the next day, and then come down from the glen. Kelpie had agreed willingly enough, not for Janet's sake, but for one more night under the free sky. She glowered at the brooding grey castle, for it was just occurring to her that it would be much more like a prison than Glenfern. And would they allow her to be out and away in the hills when her tasks were done, as she had done at Glenfern? She doubted it. Ah, oh, it was a great sacrifice she was making for those who had sent her, and she must see that her reward was as great. And then she drifted into her favorite daydream. In the long white twilight she backed down the hill until she found a tarn sheltered by birch and settled herself for the night. The dancers were absent tonight, and the sky a pale shadowed silver in which only the largest stars flickered feebly, for it was midsummer. Then the moon came over the crest of the hill, and there were no more stars, and the tarn became a pool of cold light. Deliberately, Kelpie leaned over the bank and stared into the tarn. The reflected brilliance of moonlight glowed, closed in upon itself, became a silver point, and then in its place there was a strange land, a place with giant forests, dark and wild, and a crude house made of logs in a rough clearing. She tossed her head with annoyance. What was this to her? What of her future, her career as a witch? What of destruction of those she hated? What of her enemies? The tarn obeyed, as if with a malicious will of its own, and she saw Argyle's face, the eyes coldly burning, the mouth twisted in anger, staring straight at her, and in her mind's ear Kelpie heard the word, Witch. She threw herself back and sat with beating heart for several moments after the water stood clear and blank. Was she Fay then? Was it her own doom she was seeing? Ach, no, perhaps not. For she had not seen herself, and surely Macalian Moore had looked so to many a person accused of witchcraft. She had asked to see her enemy, and the picture was telling her, just that here was a dangerous enemy, a warning to be canny, that was all. She curled up comfortably in a patch of rank grass free of nettles and slept. In the thin light of morning she smoothed back her hair and washed her face in the cold, peaty water of the tarn. Then, wary but confident, 
She made her way back to the glen and along the river to the castle. As she approached the massive stone gateway, Kelpie put on the proper face and attitude for this occasion as easily as Aina might have put on a different frock. The task was not so easy, really, for there was little that could be done about the long slanted eyes and brows or the pointed jaw. But the severely braided hair helped, and by tucking in her lower lip and drooping the corners she added a helpless and wistful note. She pulled her chin down and back and pressed her elbows to her sides for a look of brave apprehension, and then she changed her free, fawn-like walk for a most sober one. Through the gate she stepped into a subdued world of drab colors. Her blue dress looked insolently bright beside the grays and blacks of the other women in the courtyard. Only the tartan, that proud symbol of the Highlander, had failed to be extinguished by the decree of the Covenant and Kirk. And even the tartans, being colored with vegetable dye, were of muted shades. A man leading a horse stopped and regarded her with little approval. "'What is it that you are wanting?' he asked. "'Could I be seeing Mrs. McKellar, the housekeeper?' asked Kelpie, her eyes lowered modestly. He looked at her for a moment and then called over his shoulder, See Aben, the lass is wanting Mrs. McKellar. Take her up to the door. And he went on about his business. A sad-faced woman put down her basket of laundry, regarded Kelpie without curiosity, and jerked her head. Kelpie followed with great meekness and waited obediently at the castle door, until Siaben had gone inside and reappeared with a tall, gaunt woman in black. Once again there was the disproving look. And who may you be? I be Sheena Campbell. Kelpie launched into her story, not too glibly, with downcast eyes and humble voice. And it's hoping I am to serve McKellian Moore, she finished earnestly. Hm, commented Mrs. McKellar. We've lasses aplenty in Inverary Village. Och, protested Kelpie, but tis experience I've had. And she added pitifully, they will be having homes, and I with nowhere to turn. Mrs. McKellar softened, but only slightly. To tell the truth, she said bluntly, there is something. I'm not altogether liking the look of you. How am I knowing you are what you say? But why ever else would I be coming to McKellian Moore? demanded Kelpie artlessly. Hmm, that will be the question, retorted Mrs. McKellar. No, now I'm thinking. What she thought was never said, for from the corner of her eye, Kelpie saw a tall figure just passing the foot of the stairs, not Argyle, but his tallness, his long face, red hair, and manner of dress suggested that he must be Argyle's son. Kelpie took a chance. She turned away blindly from the imminent refusal, carefully stumbled a bit and tumbled herself neatly down the steps to land in a pathetic heap in front of the startled young man. "'My sorrow!' he ejaculated. Kelpie swiftly decided against being injured, as this might prove inconvenient. So she gave a small, scared glance upward at the faint frown above her, and shrank back against the wall. "'Och, your pardon,' she whispered. "'Please do not be beating me.' The young man, she was quite sure now that he must be Lord Lorne, son of Argyle, gave a short laugh. 
Whatever you may have heard, I am no beater of bairns. Calpi dropped her lip at him. Sir, I would not mind a beating if only I could be staying here to work for MacLean Moore. What is this? Who is she? Lord Lorne switched to English, and Mrs. McKellar replied in the same tongue. She is saying her name is Sheena Campbell from Loch Awe, and that she is an orphan who has been working in the home of McIntyre of Craignish, who is not needing her any more. Mrs. McClellar's English, semblant with the soft Gaelic sounds, was really not nearly as good as Kelpie's, but Kelpie was careful to keep her face blank, as if she did not understand. But, sir, went on the housekeeper, I am not liking the look of her whatever. Her eyes. Lord Lorne bent and looked at them. Kelpie tried to make them wide and pleading. Oddly ringed, aren't they? he observed. Well, she can't help that. You could use her, I think. Why not try her out? And he went on to wherever he had been going. Shank. Mrs. McKellar shrugged and washed her hands of the decision. You can be staying a bit, then, until I see you do the work. We will see does Peggy have an old dress you can be wearing, of a proper color. You are of the Kirk, are you no? She demanded suddenly turning to cast a suspicious eye on the blue of Kelpie's dress. Kelpie wasn't quite sure what that meant, and even with Janet's tutoring, she dared not bluff too far. She took an instant to think as she rose slowly to her feet. I am wanting to be a better Christian, she said, temporizing with an earnest face. And that is one reason I was coming here, for the house of MacKellian Moore is surely the most godly of all. Well... Mrs. McKellar looked somewhat appeased. Come away in, then, and Kelpi came. Life in Inverary Castle was quite different from life at Glenfern, even though Kelpi's duties were similar. There was a coldness here, and not only physical, although the castle was chill enough, with drafts constantly blowing down the halls and pushing out against the wall tapestries. But the chill of spirit was even more depressing. Laughter was near sacrilege, and a smile darkly suspect. Dancing simply didn't exist, and singing was confined to dour hymns regarding hellfire and damnation. If Kelpie had ever chafed at the restriction of Glenfern, she now realized what a free and happy life that had been. Ugh, that people could live like this. Worse, they seemed to approve it. One could hardly say they liked anything. And here Kelpie heard the other viewpoint regarding MacKellian Moore. Everyone seemed to fear him, even his rather mousy wife and sullen son. But they also saw him, except possibly Lord Lorne, as the right hand of God, fighting the battles of righteousness against such enemies of heaven as witches, King Charles, Papists, Angelicans, everyone else who was not of the covenant, and, most particularly, Lord Graham of Montrose, who was supposedly leading the king's army in Scotland. But no one seemed to know where Montrose was now, at all. He had started north to raise an army for the king, and then vanished altogether, and it was to be fondly hoped that the devil had snatched him away to hell where he belonged. Kelpie listened and said nothing. She didn't like what she heard, and began to hate Argyle on her own account. 
Indeed, and it was true that he would take all freedom from all people if he could. Kelpie cared little enough about anyone else, she told herself, but her own freedom mattered more than anything at all, and she began to feel a personal enthusiasm for her task here. A hex was what he deserved, and she hoped that the lowlander would make it a fine, horrible one indeed. It was lucky, she discovered, that himself was home at all now, for he spent much of his time these days heading his covenant army, raiding the highlands, and occasionally daring a small skirmish with other enemies. Kelpi received the impression that he was not, perhaps, the boldest and most seditious leader when it came to fighting. But now he was home, as no doubt the lowlander had known. Still, three bleak weeks had passed, and she still had never had a chance to lay her hands on any bit of his person, or even come near his private rooms. Mrs. McKellar kept a watchful eye out, and Kelpie's duties were confined to all wings of the castle but that of MacKelly and Moore. And so she watched and waited through June, tense, wary, inwardly chafing. End of chapter 9